Well, I hope you're ready for some good drama. And I don't mean in an eye roll sort of sense, like, oh, the last thing we need is more drama. No, I mean it in a literal sense. I hope you're ready for some good drama because we are going to see some good drama today in Exodus 19. If you have a Bible, you can find the second book of the Bible and it's called the book of Exodus. And we're in Exodus 19. We've been studying this book as a church and it is... Not the greatest drama, but it's such great drama because it sets the stage for the greatest dramatic event ever in human history, which would be the dramatic work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is an important text. We're going to start in the Old Testament, and then we will end in the book of Hebrews, which references this very passage. Uh, and I think that'll get us ready for the Lord's Supper at the end of the service. So it's it's scary drama, so I won't ask if you like scary drama or not. Uh, I don't think any of you will be too scared today unless you're scared spiritually, which would be good uh, so that we might know that there's hope found in Christ. Uh, but this is, this is an, a, a terrifying event for those who were originally involved. And we, we are going to appreciate that. And I hope we appreciate that. But it's, it's, it's wonderful because it sets the stage for what it means to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will help us to see that we need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because we cannot meet the obligation that's required of us or any other human being. So I hope you're ready for Exodus 19. Exodus 19, just to acclimate you, if you're just joining us, Exodus is about exiting. And I know that sounds kind of silly, but let's all know that it's about leaving. So the people of God, the Israelites, have been enslaved by the Egyptians under the ultra-powerful Pharaoh for some 400 years. They've been oppressed, they've been mistreated, they've been abused, they've been enslaved. And God has delivered them according to his promise that he made in Genesis. And God has delivered the people through his mediator, through his representative, through his prophet, if you will, whose name is Moses. And God has delivered them in a dramatic kind of way. And so that, that takes us to where we are here. But in Exodus 19, we come to Mount Sinai. We come to that unique, special place. It's going to be a frightening place. And Exodus 19 before uh, Mount Sinai anticipates... You guessed it. Guess what comes after 19? 20! And we have the Ten Commandments and all of the things that come after the Ten Commandments. And so it's sort of the drum roll moment getting ready for God to make His unique covenant, to give His unique law to His unique people, the people of Israel. But the New Testament pointedly deliberately draws upon this very event, even on behalf of the rest of us who are not Israelites. So the Bible assumes it expects you, even if you're not Jewish, to know something about this so that you can know something about Christ that's really important. And we'll save that for the end. Hope you found Exodus by now. Exodus 19, we begin in verse 1. We'll do all 25 verses. It says in verse 1, On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness... There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. Moses, representative mediator. Moses has been here before. 
He's been here back in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush event. And in Exodus chapter 3, it's called the mountain of God. In Exodus chapter 3, it's also called, it also says this in verse 12. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, so that's happened now, you shall serve God, serve God as a priest, serve God in worship. You shall serve God on this mountain. So this has been in anticipation, clear back from chapter 3, and now the, the event is eventually come. The mountain goes by different names, but we'll call it Mount Sinai because that's the most popular, well-known name. And it says, Moses went up to God. Now, I don't want to assume, well, I assume some things, but I don't want to assume too much. The Bible speaks in these terms now and then, and it will frequently hear, but you don't go up to God. Uh, we've already learned in Exodus, God is Yahweh. God is the great I am. God is not the fire God, the water God, the mountain God, the sky God, the animal God. He's not, he's the great I am. He, he's the God that in, in a certain sense, just for effect, let me say, who's nameless. He's the self-existent one. He, he, he's the incomparable one. He's just the one who, who is. He's the, the transcendent one. He's not high. He's not low. He's the omnipresent, self-existent God who is, this is really important, like no other. But we do have accommodative language. God accommodates us. And so you think, yeah, well, God is greater than us, so he's above us. Right, so symbolically for our benefit, for their benefit, he's going to go up to the mountain, up to God. But don't read it as if God is not already among the people, but he's uniquely dwelling for a unique kind of experience. So I won't take the time to stop every time something like that comes up, but it's important that we think in these kinds of terms because we need to think rightly about who God is. So there they are at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, and When we keep going, it says in verse 3, The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. That's drawing upon Genesis. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, the unique God to them. Verse 4, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings. And brought you to myself. Again, more, more kind of figurative language. They, we, we, we've all read this together and they didn't come on eagle's wings. But you see the image, right? God did it. God did it powerfully, uniquely, gracefully in a way that couldn't be explained otherwise. It's as if we flew here. God did this extraordinary, grand, amazing things. And I don't know if you realize it or not. He's setting things up for formality. He's already started speaking in terms of the ancient pacts. The ancient covenants are worded the way we're going to see this here. This is ancient treaty talk. This is covenant-making talk that we just saw here already. We're already looking at the preamble, the first part of this. So he's the great king, and he identifies himself, and he initiates the covenant. He's the great I am. 
So we've got the preamble to this unique kind of treaty, this unique kind of covenant. It's a formal relationship between God and Israel. So we have the preamble. Then we have the prologue also that we just read. Uh, It's a historical prologue where God recalls his past actions. I did this. Here's who I am. I am Yahweh, the one true and living God, and you know my history. You know the kind of God that I am. You know how powerful I am. I, I, I brought you on eagle's wings. So this is, this is covenantal, fingerprinted, if you will, borrowed, if you will, accommodated, if you will. And next we're going to see, so we have the preamble there, the prologue is there, and then we're going to have the stipulations. If you're wondering, I didn't just make all this kind of stuff up. Pretty much every Bible scholar who's worth their salt at all say, oh yeah, this is treaty talk. Um, This is formality talk. This is covenant-making kind of talk. The stipulations come. Notice in verse 5, this is really, really important. Now, therefore, if stipulations, when you have stipulations in a treaty, it's if you do this, then I will do a certain action. If you do the right thing, then it's going to go well for you. If you do the wrong thing, it's not going to go well for you. There are going to be negative consequences. Now, therefore, if you will get this, indeed obey my voice. So if you obey and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There's so much going on there. There, there, there. There's so much happening there that let's at least take the time to say, okay, what kind of things do we need to observe there? I, I hope you're, you're gripped by it. If you obey my commandment, if you obey and keep the covenant, it's going to go Great. But did you notice, even as we look at this, even notice the sovereignty of God in verse 5? The kingliness of God, the God, godness of God, if you will, for all the earth is mine. So, so what, what, kind of, what kind of God are we talking about here? We're not talking about the God who has a third. We're not talking about the God who has a thirtieth or a three hundredth or a three hundred thousandth. He's the one true and living God who's sovereign and it all belongs to him. If you're going to have a relationship with a God, you would want your relationship, a positive relationship, to be with this God. Let me remind you of who I am. The whole earth, all the earth is mine. Sometimes, this is just an aside, but, you know, people want to question God, you know, as if, as if to say, who do you think you are? God or something? <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I'm Him. Also notice that this covenantal arrangement is not between peers or equals. Definitely not between peers or equals. So if you're married, you're in a covenantal relationship. If you're not married, you can understand the concept. It's not a casual relationship. You might do casual things together, but that relationship is not a casual relationship. It's a formal relationship. It's why we have vows, like oaths, right? And there are blessings if you keep the covenant and fidelity. There are also consequences if you don't. 
So we all understand the covenantal idea. If you, uh, in the neighborhood where I live, we have covenants that say, even as, even though, um, some people would want to paint their house purple. <laughs> Shout out to the K-State fans. <laughs> it would not be allowed, praise the Lord, according to our covenants. We entered into, there, there's a formal relationship. There, there, there's a formal agreement. There are consequences and rewards. But just know that this covenantal relationship that we're seeing here is different than a marriage covenant. Maybe there are similarities. There are. But it's different. So my covenantal relationship with my wife is between peers. Right? We're both made in God's image. Equals. This is not that. This is different. This is, if you want to do ancient Eastern culture, this is a covenant between a suzerain. Who thought they were going to hear suzerain when they came to church today? Thankfully, you don't need to know these words to go to heaven. But if we want to learn from these kinds of treaties, there's a suzerain and there's a vassal. Okay, a suzerain and a vassal. The suzerain is the greater one. The vassal is the lesser one. And it would go something like this. There's a well-known, great, mighty sovereign who's got a lot of power and might and provides for those who are under his authority. And there is a covenant made with a lesser king, a lesser leader, a lesser figure. And you know what? If you do what I need you to do and what I want you to do, then I got your back. Right? I'll help you if you're threatened. I'll make sure you're taken care of. I'll make sure you're provided for. But it's contractual. It's formal. So suzerain and vassal. If you get the two confused, just remember S comes before V. That's how I learned it. I know I went to public school. But S comes before V, so S is greater. The suzerain is the greater one. Here, God is the suzerain. He's the one who's not up here with Israel. He's not up here with Moses, who is a great ruler. But they, he's not up here. He's saying, here's how it's going to be. You guys obey and great things will happen. And we will go on to see, if you don't obey, horrible things are going to happen. This becomes significant. This becomes very, very important. Notice how great the blessings are. We better keep moving though. In verse five, my, you'll be my treasured possession. How about that? Among all peoples, you, you'll be, you'll be the, the, my very favorite, the, the treasured ones. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Well, that's amazing. What do priests do? Priests mediate, priests sacrifice, priests intercede. That's a special kind of relationship with God. And you'll be a holy nation. Holy means distinct. It means separate. Among all the nations of the earth, you will be different than all of them. And you will be special to me. This is what you would want. I'm promising you that you will be the greatest nation on planet earth. You will have this special, extraordinary place of honor and protection and provision and privilege. That's what, that's what he's telling them. As long as you obey. Great reward. Let me ask you, how's it going to go? I think we already have a pretty good idea of how it goes even based upon what we've already read in Exodus. We know how it's going to go. This is setting us up 
to better understand the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important that we know that. The New Testament will tell us that it does. Does God have the right? Does the great suzerain have the right to impose such a covenantal relationship with him? Absolutely he does. The whole earth is his. It all belongs to him. Oh, if we would remember that more. We better keep moving. Verse 6, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Moses, Mr. Prophet, Moses, Mr. Mediator, I need you to go tell them what I've told you. Verse 7 then says, let's keep moving. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. How do you think they're going to respond? Well, let's look. How about verse 8? All the people answered, so they, they're, they're united. And they seem rather passionate and bold and confident. All the people answered together, oh yes, and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. I hope you never forget those words. Are they telling the truth? As one author, I think, helpfully put it, Israel's condition under Moses, show, Moses showcased the plight of the whole of humanity fallen in Adam. This is, this is normal, natural for people who are fallen in Adam, even people like us who are not Israelites. God says, as long as you love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, let's say, summarizing the law, as long as you do that, you get to go to heaven. I'm like, I'll do that. I can do that. Yeah, right. In microcosm, this is just showing us the, the normal inclination of the fallen, deceived human heart. God requires this, and it'll lead to great blessing. Yep, I'm in. I'll do it. Okay, we better keep going. Verse 8 says, if we continue on... And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud and that, that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. How about that? I'm going to do what I'm going to do so that they know that you're not just making this stuff up. Extraordinary, miraculous, so that they will have a greater trust in you, Moses. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them, set them apart, distinguish them, different, differentiate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. So they're preparing for something special. This is a sober event. We're even going to build some time in to give them time to think about it, time to, to anticipate, time to be afraid, to get ready. Verse 11, and be ready. For the third day, for on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, the, the omnipresent God who's everywhere is uniquely going to visit the people in a way that they can, they can see something unique happening here. Theologians call it a theophany where we get theology. It's a God, a, a, a divine appearance. Certainly not limited, but it's for their benefit to support Moses. It's solemn, it's serious, it's in a thick cloud. 
At least I'm reading from the, the English Standard Version. It just says thick cloud in the Hebrew text. There's actually two different words used in the same sentence for cloud. The general word for cloud, like God is with us. This is comforting while we're in the wilderness. But also another word for cloud that's a dark cloud that's associated commonly in the Old Testament with judgment. If you do the right thing, it's going to go great. If you don't do the right thing, it's going to go awfully. It's solemn. Verse 12 says, And you shall set limits for the people all around. A word that's used for boundary stones. You're going to create this sanctuary kind of thing. You're going to put a fence up with these rocks so they can know where they can't go. Saying, take care. It's actually, it, it is a command or guard not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Literally dying, you will die. So if you're looking for a super encouraging, happy-go-lucky sermon today, sorry, not sorry. We're talking about God, the God who owns everything, the God who is all-knowing, the God who is all-powerful. And what does he say to these people? I'm in charge. I give the stipulations. This is how it's going to go. I am the God who accompanies sweetly, wonderfully, but I also am the God who is the God of judgment. It's meant to be solemn. It's meant to be sober. It's not happy-clappy. It's serious-minded. Continuing with the intensity of this non-domesticated God. Verse 13, no hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. So if someone does violate the boundary, the sanctuary boundary, if you will, they're put to death. But now there's even a commentary on that person. No one shall touch him. But he shall be stoned or shot or shot through like with an arrow, whether beast or man, he shall not live. So, so notice now we're even intensifying it even more. So if someone dares to violate what I'm saying needs to be done, in your executing him or it or her, don't even get close to do it. Wow. Huh. Pretty serious. Pretty severe. Pretty pointed. How about verse 13? Let's keep going. When the trumpet sounds a long blast. Trumpets used for different things, but one thing they're used for is warfare. They shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Other translations put it, to, put it different ways. It's a way of saying, don't even have sex. Don't do the normal things. They would otherwise be okay, right? Only, only a crazy, to borrow from Psalm 92 earlier, only a stupid person in the midst of some kind of calamity, in the midst of some kind of super, super serious event happening, only a stupid person, only a crazy person, only an insane person would just do the ordinary things. This is the time for vigilance. This is the time for sobriety. This is the time for paying attention, on guard, sober, serious, somber. That's the idea. Then in verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. 
just notice that it's, it's crescendoing. Just more and more intense to the place where the people are terrified. They're scared. Rightfully so. Verse 17 then says, Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Solemn assembly, formal. Verse 18, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it. Oh, now we have fire too? So thunder and lightning and smoke and fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. The, the, the last time that kind of imagery was used, it was used in Genesis, and the smoke of the kiln was used in relationship to, any guesses? Sodom and Gomorrah. So, keep that in mind. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. That's Genesis nineteen twenty eight. by the way. Clearly, this is what's happening. And I realize I, I, I don't play a crazy, yelling, fundamentalist preacher on TV, nor in real life. Uh, but this calls for intensity, people, right? Can you imagine if I would be up here preaching today? Isn't it nice to have a smoking kiln? The people are shaking. Oh. And isn't it wonderful that God asked them if they would like to do this? And then he waited for their response. And because God is a gentleman and... You think, what is this guy doing? What is he trying to sell us? That, that tone doesn't match the clear intent of the text. The tone is serious. It's fearful. It's intense. It's judgment kind of talk. Oh, yes, there's great blessing, but you know who you're dealing with here? The one true and living God, the great I am. And it's on his terms. And you just said, we will do it. Now, I hope some of you, maybe lots of you, are asking maybe a a theological question. And if not, I'm going to invite you to ask one. A question about God and a question about God's ways, and that's this question. If these are the people of God... How could they ever face judgment from God? That's an important question. I'm not going to answer it today. But we for sure are going to answer it. Maybe I'll just give you a little hint. Don't conclude that all of these people are believers. Remember texts like not all Israel is Israel. Also remember, we're dealing with a nation here. A nation to enter a promised land nationally. We're not talking about individuals as the focus. I may have answered the question. It is true. I don't want to be confusing. Romans 8, 1, as I referenced in my pastoral prayer and the baptism There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But the key is, you've got to be in Christ by faith, whether you're an Old Testament saint or a New Testament saint. Okay, we better keep moving. 
Verse 19 says, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Crescendo again. Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. Deuteronomy 4 is the cross reference and it's speech. So there's thunder and speech going on at the same time. Maybe we can meet in the middle. It's thunderous speech. Verse 20 says, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up and the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn, oh yeah, see, warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. Oh, the gravity of it all. This is not between peers. This is serious. Verse 23 then says, and Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down. Literally, go, go down. So there's urgency and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord lest he break out against them. Verse 25 says, so Moses went down to the people and told them. Before you close your Bible, Now we're ready for Exodus 20, Ten Commandments, and all of the things that are associated with the Ten Commandments in God's law to be delivered. It's that setting. But before you close your Bible, there's a couple of things you need to know as a Christian if you are one. If you turn to Hebrews, you'll be able to see. If you turn to Hebrews, you'll be able to see. Toward the end of your Bible, you can find the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, if you're not familiar, draws a lot of connections between the old covenant world and fulfillment by the Lord Jesus Christ in the new covenant world. All of these things are in in anticipation of Him coming and fulfilling. It's important that we would see this. But as you're turning there, Will Israel keep the covenant? They will not keep the covenant, as you might have guessed. They most certainly will not keep the covenant. As Adam before them didn't do the right thing and led the human race into sin, similarly, national Israel will not obey God to gain reward. Similar. I know it's similar because Hosea 6, 7 says, but like Adam, they, Israel, transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. So there's, there's the parallel already. Adam, Israel, oh, maybe we should reverse it. Israel's like Adam. Then I'm going to remind you of something else we've been seeing in past studies. In Luke chapter 3, verse 38, Adam is called the son of God. The initial son of God, representing the people, failed and it led to condemnation. We learned in the book of Exodus, chapter 4, verse 22, Israel's called God's firstborn son. Adam the son? Nope. Israel the son? Nope. Colossians chapter 1 anticipates the ultimate firstborn son. Yep. He will obey perfectly on behalf of his people, 
so that his people can enter into the not temporary promised land, the ultimate promised land. And this is awesome in Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, it says in chapter 12, verse 18, please enjoy this. Please be encouraged by this. For you, this is Hebrews 12, 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. He's drawing upon our text. You, if you're a Christian, have not come there. And the sound, it says in verse 19, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made their hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Here, this is, this is the takeaway. This is the rejoicing point. This is why it's so good to be a Christian. Verse 22 says, but you have come to Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the, oh, not the old Jerusalem, not the temporary Jerusalem, you have come to the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I don't know what to say. Other than praise be to God. This is, this is amazing to, con to, to connect the two. It's all on purpose. It's all intentional. And, and isn't it awesome the way he speaks of it in the past tense? You have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Let me remind you, he's writing to persecuted Jewish believers when he's writing this. who actually had not come to the heavenly Mount Zion and who had not yet come to the new Jerusalem. But he's saying, oh yes, you have. Because you're in Christ. And everything that he has earned for you is yours now, even if you haven't experienced it yet. And so though your family persecutes you, though you kind of would like to go back to Judaism sometimes because they have the smells and they have the bells and they have the temple in temporary Mount Zion in temporary Israel, Jerusalem but he's saying don't do it don't do it, don't do it, don't do it because you have already come because you're in Christ it's so good it's so good to see how the Lord's drama unfolds, the drama of redemption, and all that we've been seeing in Exodus is anticipating that we would understand that Jesus is the faithful son. Jesus is the true one. Jesus is the one who will keep the covenant to gain not temporal inheritance into the temporary promised land, but New Jerusalem, the ultimate heavenly Mount Zion. <sighs> One more text, then communion, I promise. I do have two texts here, so I, I could lie, but I'm not going to. I'll just read it. 
1 Peter 2.9, just let's listen to this. I shouldn't have told you where I was reading from. I should have said, which testament am I reading from? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I think I could have tricked some of you. Most of you are too, too bright. Know your Bible too well. But I could have tricked some new people, maybe. But we don't want to offend new people. I kid, I kid, I kid. That sounds like Exodus 19. It's not Exodus 19. It's First Peter in the New Testament. So he says to the church that's made up of all nations. Remember the Great Commission? He says to the church that's made up of all nations, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Interesting. Ultimately, the people of God are the holy nation that's not a nation made up of all nations. <laughs> all of that beforehand was designed to anticipate something far greater that would last forever. That's why he borrows that kind of imagery. But when you're in First Peter, it's expecting that you know Exodus 19 so that you can know the history that you're coming from and your heritage so you can appreciate it all the more because the people naturally said, we will do it. And they fail cosmically, but in Christ, they're successful so that they are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, even a priesthood. That's us. Not because we're good, but because Christ is a faithful Savior. Trust in Him. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for an exciting text like Exodus 19. Thank You for helping us to be maybe shocked into remembrance as to who You are, that You're not like us. But you are not only a God of judgment, you are a God of mercy and grace. And we know this to be true because of our champion Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate firstborn, the firstborn of all creation. We're thankful for him as we obey the Lord Jesus and we eat and drink in remembrance of him. May we, yes, obey, but may we obey as we're enjoying a wonderful good gift from you accompanied by the work of your spirit. May we be reminded that salvation is of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.